Hello, and welcome to Tech Connects, Dice's podcast where we dig into the topics on tech hiring, recruiting, and careers that matter to you. I'm your host, Nick Kolakowski, and I'm going to talk to great guests every month about the current state of the tech careers world, including the tech job market, the hottest tech skills, and what companies are doing to attract and retain technology professionals in a historically tight market, in addition to so much else. Our next guest is Errol Pierre, who's a healthcare executive, professor, public speaker, and author. He's a senior VP at one of the most notable healthcare nonprofits in New York and was previously COO at Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield. His recent book, The Way Up, breaks down how underrepresented groups from all walks of life can grow to their full potential and climb up the corporate ladder. He's also a huge advocate for mentoring, and I wanted to speak to him about how mentorship had changed his life and how anyone can use a mentor to achieve their goals. Let's listen in. Thank you for being on. And B, um, I wanted to chat because you're an amazing range of things. You're an author, you're a college professor, you're a highly successful business exec, and you have a new book, The Way Up. Um, and in the book, you talk about how mentorship changed the trajectory of your career. And for a lot of our audience, particularly all the tech professionals who are just getting into the industry, like mentorship is, they know kind of intuitively or abstractly that mentorship is a hugely important thing. But beyond that, they, um, you know, they obviously have questions about like, you know, kind of what mentorship actually entails. And so I just curious about how, like, just to start off, how did mentorship change the trajectory of your career? Like what happens with your mentor and how did that, do you think impacted everything that's happened to you? That's, that's led to where you are today. Yeah. Yeah. First I start with uh, uh, the example of how I got into health insurance. And so I was at um, a warehouse, a beauty supply store warehouse um, packing bottles and I was deliver the boxes to the salon. Um, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Was, yeah. Just fine. You're great. Um, and uh, one day a woman came up to me and said, Hey, do you have a resume? And I said, sure. Sent her my resume. She ended up being the chief operating officer for Empire Blue Cosmos Shield, one of the largest health insurance companies in New York. Uh, and I think back to that day and say like, what did I do that stood out? And for me, um, at the time, I had brought boxes in and the owner of the beauty salon store was like, I'm looking for this particular shampoo that doesn't have, you know, laurel sulfate. And I remembered I had that in my truck. And I was like, when I was born at the, at the warehouse, I would read all the back of the bottles. And so by doing that, I was able to answer the question. And he was like, how do you know what's <laughs> what's in these ingredients? And I was like, well, I got curious. I read the back of the bottles. And she saw that and she was like, he has to do more than just this. And so that's when she talked to me. I was like, yep, I'm in college. And lo and behold, I ended up with insurance uh, as her first uh, intern. Um, <clears throat> I say that to say because every day you're interviewing for your next position. So before you even think about a mentor, you have to be in the mindset of every email I write, assume it's going to get forwarded to the CEO. When you show up at work, you have to put your best foot forward. Like you should have to be in a framework to be ready for a mentor whenever you meet them because you never know when you meet them that's the first piece um and then the second piece is i didn't my first mentor that i met was jeff grayling and i think people assume it's this like big grandiose gesture to say like will you be my mentor and it, it doesn't have to be that way the way we started was something resonated with me he was extremely confident he was funny he went to harvard so there was all these things i was just like what an amazing guy um and so i started with just 15 minute coffee chats. I was like, how did you get to this role? Like, tell me about Harvard. What was that experience like? Cause I, I can't even imagine being accepted to an Ivy league school. And so these small 15 minute coffee discussions, we learned about each other more. He t asked about my background. 
I told him where I want to go. One of the biggest issues is we're nervous about sharing out loud what we want to do, but you have to say it out loud. Um, and that's how we started to build a rapport and a relationship. And so over time, what it be- what it meant was he was putting me in positions where I could be successful and he was giving me guidance around the unsaid rules in corporate America. There's so many unsaid rules that you don't know about. And without a mentor, you don't know, do I go left? Do I go right? Um, the, the analogy I use is, uh, you ever watch like a Mission, Mission Impossible when um, there's infrared lights in the, wherever you try oh, yeah. to walk into. Yeah. A mentor is the one that tells you where they are, right? And so you're like, oh, okay, I got to hop over this one. I got to crawl onto that one. That's literally what they are, a trusted advisor to sort of navigate. Yeah. So, it, it, and that's, it, it's really amazing. And it makes me wonder, I mean, you obviously were incredibly fortunate to, to build this relationship and escalating and get this great advice about finding, you know, kind of infrared lines and so on, so to speak. Um, but for, for somebody who's just starting out and, you know, maybe there's a couple of people in their life who could potentially serve as good mentors who are offering good advice and so on. What should they do? How do, how should they choose essentially? Like how should they, I mean, is it just, you said the coffee dates, is it a matter of just feeling people out? I mean, how, how, what would your advice be for that? Absolutely. So, uh, to me, um, link, now with technology, LinkedIn is powerful. Uh, people from your alumni network, if you write them a note and say, love your background, I've looked you up, fascinating what you've done with your career, would love to find out more. There are people, nine times out of 10 people will respond. So leverage alumni networks. They don't, a mentor doesn't have to be at the company you work in. It could be also people that's in your larger network as well. If it's someone at work, um, if whether it's virtual or not, meet and greets. So I'm new. Uh, I'm, I want to learn the landscape. Uh, I looked you up. I would love to spend 15 minutes just to pick your brain. In those 15 minutes, that's where you find out if you're building a rapport. You'll, you'll know quickly, like, hmm, do they want to talk to me again or not? Or are they cordial? Uh, was there anything that resonated between us? Uh, you can quickly find out. So you're kind of like speed dating to try to find different folks. Um, once someone does resonate and you're like, wow, that was 15 minutes, but they said, reach out to me if you ever have any more questions, like take them up on it. And so, okay, maybe in a month I'll set up on some more time, but have more questions. Don't just show up and say, okay, tell me more. Like have new questions. Uh, and what I like to do is if something resonated during the conversation and I read an article or a podcast that has to do with the same topic in between meetings, I would send them a note and say, you know, uh, I stumbled upon this article in New York Times. It literally was talking about everything we were talking about. Thought I would send it to you. You know, hope you're you're having a good week. Those are the ways. Slowly but surely, you start to build the rapport. You have to be outside of your comfort zone. I always say, if you're not feeling butterflies, you're in the wrong place. And so this is awkward. It is awkward, but it's what you have to do to differentiate yourself. And the reason why it's awkward is because everyone else is not doing it. So to step out of your comfort zone to be different, you have to do it. Yeah. The, um, in terms of, I mean, I assume that, you know, you obviously you become more comfortable with your mentor and so on and you, you extend this relationship and however long the relationship extends, sometimes you talk to people and they've had more than one mentor. They, they sort of have, you know, the beginning of their career and then in mid career they they find someone else. And I mean, you're so experienced. How, how do you, how how did you know personally, I mean, like when it was time maybe to transition mm-hmm. to a different mentor to move on and so on? I mean, and do you think that applies to everybody? I mean, are there like certain signs that, oh, I should be looking for someone else who can help me for this stage of the career because yeah. obviously my goals 
have changed? It's a great question. So in the book, chapter six, I'd say uh, to be a good mentee, someone who has a mentor, it takes time. And time is an acronym, T-I-M-E. And the T is for trust. So you have to build trust. If you don't build trust, they will never be vulnerable with you. You will never be vulnerable with them. So before you just jump into, I need a pay raise, like (laughs) build trust and say, I want to know about you. I want to know where you come from. I want to know more about understanding of you. I want to share as well, be vulnerable. So you build trust. The I is intentionality. Uh, You should be the one that is setting the agenda for the conversation. So you tell them ahead of time, here's the topics I'd like to discuss Maybe we'll meet in two weeks if that works with you. You work out with their admin or whoever to get on their calendar. So you move things to be good for their time, right? And very intentional about the discussions. Um, M is milestones. To your point, you should have an end in mind. Why are you meeting with them? So there should be specificity. Uh, I'm a a coder today, but I want to move into management. Okay. Uh, I've been in the same role for five years. I don't know how to move. Um, right now I'm on this team. I want to know about this side of the business. I see that you've been on that side of the business. Tell me more about it. I want to learn. Um, I don't know about the financials. My boss told me I need to learn financials. What should I know about the financial side of the house? Whatever it is, those are the milestones you want to have. So after a certain amount of meetings, you hit those milestones, just be cognizant that you've completed something, right? You should have the end in mind before you start. And then the E is evaluation. And this is the point you're getting to. Six to nine months in, if you last that long, which is great, evaluate the relationship. Am I getting out of it everything I need? Is my mentor getting out of it everything they need? It's okay, trust me, if a mentee to say, hey, this has been great. I know I'm taking your time. I think I've got to a place where I feel very comfortable. I'd love to continue the conversations, but it's up to you. You know, if you're busy and you're taxed, I get it. And also, if you want to donate time to other people, you know, this this is a good place um, and vice versa. Um, maybe they're busy. It, they, they now got promoted. So now your mentor is a little busier, so they can't have as much time. So it's good to have a check-in to evaluate the relationship to see if it should continue or end. I always say um, mentors are for a reason or a season. And it's perfectly normal to, you know, say the season has come to an end. We'll move on. Keep in touch with them. You know, there's mentor. I have my, for example, Jeff Grayling. There could be days where we talk once a week for three months, and then we don't talk until Thanksgiving, and just say, "Hey, happy Thanksgiving." So you want to check in with them periodically, uh, but it doesn't mean you have to have a daily conversation with them. Do I mean for for Jeff and or any other mentors that you have? I mean, in and I I also say this from personal experience in terms of mentors I've had in my life. It's it's. I imagine it's also something of a two-way street as well. I mean, potentially they 100%. come to you for advice. So, I mean, it's not. So you're also you're also giving at the same time. Um, well, that's where the magic happens. If you get to a point where they are now asking you questions, because usually there might be a generational gap between you and your mentor. It doesn't have to be. You could have a mentor in the same age group. Um, then they're like, hey, can I ask you a question? You know, here's what I'm struggling with my team. Like, what, what, what would you do if a boss came to you and said X, Y, Z? So that's where the magic happens when it starts to become two-way. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, in terms of if you you have a mentor and then at some point when you we build up experience and so on, and then you being, begin to mentor others, I mean, it's sort of like this, this great cycle of life. How do how do you think people, sh- I mean, if, if somebody's like, wow, I really, you know, I've learned a lot. I really want to share this. I want to find somebody and, and help the trajectory of their career and so on. 
how do they know they're ready? I guess is the question. Like what, what, how do you, what sort of self-reflection do you need? What point do you need to arrive at? I think in order to be a good mentor to someone else. The one thing I'll say, you're always ready to mentor someone and it's a, it comes down to your time and commitment. Just like if you, if someone agreed to be your mentor and they keep canceling meetings, you'll feel dejected and it won't feel, make you feel good. In the same vein, don't raise your hand and say, I'll be your mentor, but then don't have the time commitment to, to do it. Uh, I, I say you're always ready because um, high school kids can med- mentor middle school kids. Middle school kids can mentor elementary school kids. Uh, many times entry-level folks think they need the CEO to be a mentor. You don't need a CEO. If someone's been at your company for three to five years and you just got there, that's a perfect person to be a mentor for you. So um, I encourage in- individuals to ask for someone who is in a role that you want to get to. That should be your mentor as opposed to someone who's like the VP of XYZ and they're so far removed from you. Uh, so I, I think anyone can mentor we all have something to offer. We all been through something that someone has never been through. It's all about the time commitment. And out of mutual respect, you have to make sure you have the time. And I've said to folks, I already have certain folks I'm mentoring. If I took you on, I would not be the mentor I would want to be. Like, I'm happy to do coffee. I'm happy to, if you send me email questions, I'm happy to answer them. I just, at this point, I don't have the bandwidth to devote what I would want to, to what, what you need. And yeah. that's okay too. That makes total sense. It's, it's a couple of companies that I've been at and a couple of publications. Um, sometimes you see companies attempt to create a mentorship structure where, you know, they'll have senior executives mentor, you know, new people at the company and so on. And sometimes it works, but also sometimes it doesn't. And I, I have a hard time kind of putting my, I've been thinking about this, you know, ever since we set up this podcast. Um, I couldn't quite figure out why it works sometimes and why it doesn't, why sometimes it really seems to stick and does. I mean, what do companies need to do if they want to like set up something that's kind of more formal than this? I mean, what? Yeah. yeah. I, I, in my experience and I worked at two big companies, one with 40,000 employees, one with 5,000 employees. I honestly, and I've been in those mentoring programs where they match you up with someone. I honestly believe that they're not the most efficient way to have mentorship work. Um, the due diligence isn't done to find out you're matching. So it's kind of like round robin. Oh, you're going to match with John. Why? Because that's what we decided. Like, I don't even know what goes into the algorithm. Um, and then it's weird because if you don't match and you don't have a rapport, you're still forced to keep meeting until the mentorship ends. And that's not how a mentorship should work. And then if that happens, you're still in the company with this person that you have an awkward relationship with. And it's, it's, it's weird. It, I just think, so I, I always tell folks, um, organically build your own mentorship program. Um, I, I talk about having your personal board of directors and on, on that board of directors should be your, your mentors. And obviously you can have more than one. Um, if the company does select you for it, great. That's cool. I just, that shouldn't be your end all be all. And I also think employees shouldn't wait for HR to help them, um, this is something you have to take on to on yourself. And part of getting your own mentor builds character as opposed to HR putting a name in a hat and then assigning you to someone. Now, if you get exposure to an executive, take take as much opportunity as possible, but it might not be a mentor. That's more like, you know, um, information sharing with, with an executive. That makes sense. You mentioned personal board of directors, you know, and one's mentor being on it. Who else, who else is on that board? That's a really fascinating term. Yeah, so um, personal 
board of directors, every company, for-profit company, even nonprofits have a board of directors. Why? These are unbiased folks that um, can tell a company and provide insight to guide them on what they should do. In the same vein, you should have one for your career. Uh, It's your mentors. There's a, a person who's also called champion or sponsors. They're different from mentors. These are people who are further distant from you, but they're in a position of influence to make something happen on your behalf. So the chairman of my board was my champion because he literally was advocating to the CEO to promote me, unbeknownst to me, outside of my control, but that's what he wanted to do because he, he looked at me, he saw something in me that he liked and he was pushing for it. It's very hard to get your own champion, but if you do stumble upon one, like that's, pers- that's part of your personal board of directors. Um, therapy. So as a professional of color, uh, you are going through constant pressure between do I assimilate or do I stay authentic? Uh, in corporate America, there's this push for authentic leadership. Yet, in my experience, I've been rewarded for not being authentic. I've gotten promotions for assimilating, for code switching. So it's a very weird thing to say, be authentic when you're underrepresented. Because I think there's not, it's not, there's not a lane to be authentic when you're under, underrepresented. So um, in that vein, that's a lot of mental anguish that you go through. Have to have a therapist. Also, uh, professionals of color, there's still a stigma around therapy. So I always advocate that it's okay to have anxiety. It's okay to feel stressed. It's okay to talk to a mental professional about it. So therapist is, is on there. Some people utilize an executive coach. There's a difference between a therapist, an executive coach, and a mentor. Um, executive coaches, they really put a framework together for the things that you need to work on. Mentors will guide you on what to do. A coach is really like a coach, like literally like a sports coach, is going to say, here's your gaps, and we're going to work on those gaps. And they potentially could work with your company to do a 360 review and build you up. And then the last piece on your board of directors is your close colleagues. And you have to pick them very carefully. So I ran track in college. Um, the key with track is you want to be in the right heat. So the, you know, there's like 100 people running. They divide them up into all these different heats, and the heats run the race. And if you're in a heat that's slower than you, nine times out of 10, you're going to run a slower time. If you're in a heat that's faster than you, so if you're running a 200-meter uh, and you run 24 seconds, and the heat you're in runs 23 seconds. Nine times out of 10, you're going to run faster because the people around you are running faster. So you seem to run faster. In the same vein, your group of friends that you put on your personal board of directors should be people that are at or better than you in terms of what you're trying to do professionally. And if you surround yourself with those type of folks, you, you, you sort of get this runner's high and you start to run as fast as them. And so you have to be very meticulous about who you put on that table, but those are the folks you want to gravitate towards. I run, so I love that analogy just because, yeah, I also ran track and cross country and stuff like that. So that's great. Yeah, the, the, whole, the, the runner's high of having people, you know, yeah, no, that's that, that's perfect. Um, do you think, I mean, do you think mentorship can help with the representation issue with sort of helping things become more diverse and kind of balance out and sort of correct some of the, 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 the longstanding issues? Um, yeah that corporate America tends to have with regard to, yeah. A a thousand percent. And then there's a whole article I wrote down this called intentional mentoring. Um, uh, Right now, if you look at fortune 500 board of directors, 6% of them are represent minority women, less than 11% represent minority men. It's um, 
it's 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 problematic because it's a very big shortage compared to the representation in America, right? Um, so what happens? They say, well, we can't find any people of color that can be a board member because there's a lack of mentorship. The boards have to start mentoring senior leaders at these Fortune 500s so that they're ready to be a board member. It's, you get caught in this catch-22. How can I apply to be a board member if I never became one and have the experience, but I can't get the experience unless I become one? You get you get caught in this, and, and the way you break that cycle is through mentorship. So if board members mentored the people of color at the highest ranks of their company to become board members, and then the people at the highest ranks of those company mentored the people at the lower ranks to become senior executives, we would totally unravel this issue of underrepresentation at the top. The other thing is um, mentoring happens naturally with people that you already gravitate towards implicitly. So there's already mentoring with um, a, you know, a white man who sees a lower level white man and they bond on golfing. That is just going to happen naturally because of impl implicit bias. You have to mitigate the implicit bias by ensuring there's intentional mentoring happening for the folks that you don't gravitate towards. So if you're the only person of color in the room, as a leader, I need to make sure that person's being mentored. I don't know by who, but someone needs to take them under their wing to grow them because I can guarantee you other people in the room that don't look like him is being mentored. And so these are the things we have to do to really, un, un like we have to shake up this bias that's happening. And the last thing I'll say is research shows this. Um, black employees that are mentored, 30% more likely to get promoted faster. I mean, the, oh, wow. the data, the data. That's shows an amazing it. stat. That's great. I mean, it's a great stat, but that's amazing. I didn't really, I mean, that, that's a huge percentage. Absolutely. Cool. So my last question is why, I mean, writing a book is a difficult feat. I mean, like it's, it's a real lift. What led you to write the book now? Like what was, was, I mean, did you wake up one day and say now's the time or did there was there a specific incident? I mean, like what, what led you down this particular path? Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you, it's, it, there's two reasons really pre pandemic. I became chief operating officer for the largest health insurance plan in New York, which was a big deal. I was 35 years old. Um, and I was uh, thrusted into this role. I was so glad that I got it. But I immediately suffered from imposter syndrome. Did I get it because I deserved it? Am I going to be caught as a fraud? Am I as smart as I need to be to be in this role? Uh, imposter syndrome impacts uh, people of color 50% more than anybody else. So people of color and women feel this pressure of like they get a role and then they feel like they don't deserve it. What I had to center around and through therapy and through my executive coach and through all these different tools, I had to center around Errol. Do you know how many interviews you went through to get that COO role? 18 interviews. And do you know they went through your background and they did reference checks and they called your prior employer and they looked at people who knew you, like you deserve the role. Companies that big don't make mistakes. You went through a gauntlet. So be rest assured that you belong there. You have to remind yourself that, that because of the bias that exists in corporate America, if you are a person of color and you're at a high position, <laughs> you went through a lot, a mountain. You climbed a mountain, right? That's why I have it in the title of the book, to get there. So you deserve it. So that was the first piece I just had to get my head around. Then... Um, I would wrestle with, well, am I a token? We have diversity, equity, and inclusion stats. So was this a hire because they just wanted to fill a quota? 
And that wrestles with you too. And so I'm sensitive to like, for example, um, President Biden said, I'm going to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court bench. So, and we've, they selected Kentonji Brown Jackson. So you're like, okay, was she qualified or was she a black woman? She was both, but still as a person, you're, you wrestle with yourself. Like, would I not have gotten it if the seat wasn't hold, held specifically for a black woman? And those are things you have to wrestle with as well in yourself. And so I was going through that process. And at the end of the day, I realized that I got the role, title, money, um, but it was far from my passion and my purpose. So I went back to school to really pursue health equity. Health equity is ensuring that all people, underrepresented populations, um, can get high quality care with dignity and respect, regardless of their race, color, creed, income. And I got this C-suite role, and my day-to-day had nothing to do with health equity. In fact, one could argue I was probably limiting health equity in my role. So I had to throw all these things together. One, imposter syndrome. Two, was I token? Three, I was not in my passion or purpose. And um, I left that role, got a new role, senior vice president of a different company, but I'm focused on health equity. And so the book really came from, I don't want people to have to not be themselves, not pursue their purpose and passion, get to this role that external validation says they should be happy, have the role, and then for 18 months, just toil with themselves saying, why am I not happy? I did what I'm supposed to do. And so chapter one is my resignation letter. It's like, I've resigned from the best role I ever got in my career because it was so far from my purpose or passion. And then the rest of the chapters talk about um, being a professional of color in corporate America and navigating all of these all of these things. I felt compelled to write it so that other people don't go through the same anguish. That's, that was really my, my pursuit. The last thing I'll say on this is I interviewed 11 executives of color as well. And their story is infused in the book with quotes and recommendations and tips. And it was fascinating for me to learn that these 11 executives from different industries went through the same exact thing. And so that was very surprising as well. That's crazy. And that's it, folks. It's fascinating to talk to Errol because he's thought so deeply about mentorship and how it can impact careers. Here are a few things to keep in mind if you're seeking a mentor or if you're a tech pro who feels ready to mentor others who are earlier in their careers. First, it's important for a mentor and a mentee to have chemistry. If you're seeking a mentor, make sure that what they're saying really resonates with you and that you feel at ease while talking with them. As you deepen your relationship, your mentor may come to you with issues and questions of their own. Take the time to listen and give them the best possible advice. Second, you're not gonna have one mentor or mentee throughout your career. People grow and evolve, and you should pause to evaluate your mentoring relationship every so often. It's perfectly normal to move on if you feel it's time, but make sure to never lose touch with someone who's helped you so much. Third, you're always potentially ready to mentor someone, just as long as you can devote the proper time and resources to the relationship. You don't need to be a CEO or a CTO to help someone along in their career. If you're able to answer their questions and help them navigate at least some professional issues, you can mentor them. And with that, we'll see you next time. And remember, DICE is your best resource to find the tech talent you need to fill your open roles, and for technology professionals, the best place to grow your career.